Welcome to A Language I Love Is, a podcast all about languages, linguistics, and love. I'm your host, Danny, and for this episode, I went along to Charles University in Prague to join Dr. Radek Szymik and dive into the linguistics of the local language, Czech. I'm here currently at Charles University, and I'm very much looking forward to speaking to Dr. Radek Szymik. Here in Charles University, we're actually in a very, very cool phonetics recording studio, so the sound quality is going to be particularly good for this episode, I like to think. And uh, Radek has very kindly invited me here to talk about one particular language that he knows very well, it's fair to say, and I also think has a particular fondness for. Um, so, Radek, how are you doing today? Uh, how are you feeling? Thank you very much, Danny, for inviting me to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been a keen listener uh, to the podcast, and uh, uh, I'm very happy to uh, be uh, in an interview with you as well. You know the format, but for new-time listeners of this podcast, I think I should run through what the point of a language I love is. is. Essentially, this is a chance for you, the listener, to get to know one particular language and one particular person who loves this language. Today, it's Radek. And this is going to happen through four parts and three questions. After the first part, which is building up a little bit of a language profile, introducing this language, what it is, where you can find its speakers, etc. We'll then move on to some questions that invite Radek to share his relationship to this language, what he likes about it, and something that he wants the people at home to know about. So, uh, first things first, let's answer the main question. What is a language that you love and would like to talk about with us today? A language I love is Czech. Excellent. Fair to say, you know this language quite well. You have a long-term relationship with this language. We should say, first and foremost, you are a native speaker of Czech, but you're also a linguist, so you work on this language. Let's set the scene in terms of Czech. Where in the world can you find speakers of the Czech language? The Czech language is spoken in the Czech Republic, which is uh, since relatively recently also officially called Czechia which is a word I do like. We have a Czech version of that as well, which is Česko. So Czech is spoken in Czechia. It's a, it's a country, uh, it's a republic uh, that you can find just east to Germany. Uh, it's in Central Europe. The people that live in Czechia, there are about 10 million of them. Uh, that constitutes also most of the speakers. There are some speakers outside of Czechia, for example, in Romania, there is an area where there are still um, people who left um, the Czech lands um, a couple of hundred, hundred years ago. I don't know exactly when, but they still live there. There are a couple of uh, villages. Uh, it's called Banat, the area. And that's where Czech is spoken as well. And I, I bet there are other places uh, uh, outside of Czechia where Czech is spoken too. Although I have to say, uh, compared to some other countries... Czech people are really mostly located in Czechia. That's a really nice introduction in terms of the geography where you tend to find these people. It's not a global language, Czech. It's not a language where you have a large diaspora of people spread across the world. I believe that there are large communities of Czech heritage, Czech ancestry mm -hmm. in America, for yes. example. I think That's also true. in Chicago and Texas. But how much the language is for them a daily language, I, I think not so much. Not, not really, today. Yeah. No. There are some traditions that are still being kept uh, in the semi-artificial uh, uh, mode, as mm -hmm. far as I know and what I've seen. 
but I I'm uh, doubtful about uh, about Czech being their daily language. Indeed. Understood. So let's then turn to a little bit about the history of the Czech language. We don't need to go too much into this story, but essentially, could you unpack what is the genealogy of the Czech language? When I say genealogy, where does it come from? What are the perhaps earliest stages of this language that we know of? And what might be its sister languages within Europe? Czech is a Slavic language. More particularly, it is a West Slavic language. So Slavic languages are divided into three larger groups, into West Slavic languages, East Slavic and South Slavic. So Czech is a West Slavic language together with uh, Polish, Slovak, and Sorbian, of which there are two versions, two dialects, or maybe two languages, uh, Upper Sorbian and Lower Sorbian. So those are the the West Slavic languages. And... um, What I find interesting is that Czech has a sister language, which is Slovak, and Slovak and Czech are mutually intelligible. So now when you think about uh, one of the classical definitions of what a language is, two dialects or two versions of a language are called a language if they are essentially mutually not intelligible. So from this perspective, Czech and Slovak should actually be, be considered two dialects of a single language because they are mutually uh, intelligible. And there is some nice research on that from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands, uh, showing that indeed among the West Slavic languages, Czech and Slovak are the most, uh, the two that are the most mutually intelligible languages. Also, Czech and Slovak have shared uh, some uh, or good part of history. So um, there is some, uh, there's a history in the 20th century where Czechia and Slovakia were in a single country called Czechoslovakia, where people uh, were exposed to both languages to a similar extent in media, for example. So it was that, of course, supported the mutual intelligibility. But now having kids who uh, have grown up only in Czechia, no longer in Slovakia, I can see that they also understand Slovak, even though there are problems with understanding that. Now, where Czech comes from, so the assumption is that uh, Proto-Slavic, so the language that is uh, the ancestor of all the Slavic languages, goes back to uh, around the 5th, maybe 6th century AD. Since then, they started splitting into these different groups. And when it comes to Czech, we have a record of uh, written Czech uh, going back to about uh, the... 11th century. This is what would be called Old Czech. We also have younger version of Czech, which we would call Middle Middle Czech. And uh, then we have the newer Czech that, uh, that is a relatively recent uh, phenomenon. And uh, Czech is, an, uh, is a language that uh, for uh, quite a long time of its history was not written to a great extent uh, because Czechia was uh, for uh, many centuries part of uh, Austria. And uh, the main written language in those times was German. So uh, only in the 19th century, there was uh, what, what we called a national revival, uh, something happening across Europe, of course, not only here, where people started um, preparing or started building up Czech as a literary language, again, as a language of education. Uh, so this is when, uh, this is what started in the 19th century. And, uh, Curiously enough, what they took as the model for uh, this new written formal high standards Czech language is a Bible, is a translation of a Bible into Czech from the 16th century called Bible Kralitska, 
So curiously enough, in the 19th century, uh, a new standard of Czech was created that was hundreds of years old, uh, which created a little bit of a diglossia, if you wish, in the sense that we have a formal language, formal Czech language, which is kind of old. And uh, then we have the vernacular, the colloquial language, which has incorporated since the time a lot of especially phonetic and morphological changes, of course, lexical ones as well. But uh, this diglossia is definitely an over... Um, I mean, it's too much to say it's a diglossia. It's the, these two variants of the language, the standard Czech and the colloquial Czech, are they're actually very close to each other, I would think. Yeah. If I may, yeah, definitely, if I can come in as a learner, I should say as someone who's done his absolute best to get proficient with Czech, it's not so serious. It's really not a case that you might have in other countries where the prestige language feels completely alien. They're definitely like two ends of a continuum, two ends of, of an arc. But nonetheless, it is a curious situation that has developed. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, of course, this idea of the deliberate creation of a written standard, which is based on the Kralitsa Bible. Um, this has created a strange tension in the modern-day Czech Republic, I feel, that you have this standard language that everybody should know, and then once you know it, then you cannot use it. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me as well as a learner. I have to go through the standard language. I have to say den rather than dobrejden, and I have to say osum rather than vosum. But once I know it, then I can drop it, <laughs> which is a curious situation, I think, for a language. That brings me to ask a little bit about the dialectal situations, because why is the language of the Kralice Bible different? Is it because it's just simply old, or, or is it from another kind of Czech based on geography? If you learn standard Czech as a non-native speaker of Czech, um, you might not be aware that there is actually quite a lot of dialectal variation in this country, right? It's something that I only pick up occasionally. Mm -hmm. So is there considerable variation in this country according to geography? Mm -hmm. There definitely is variation. There are dialects that I, as far as I can judge, are still alive, especially in some areas of uh, Czechia. Czechia has three main parts, three main large regions. One is called Bohemia, which is in the west. One is called Moravia, which is in the east. In, in the northeast, we can find uh, Silesia as well. The most uh, dialectal variation you can find in the east, so in Moravia and Silesia. In Moravia, there are a couple of quite distinct dialects with differences, especially in phonology. And uh, in Bohemia, in the West, the variation is not that great, but there are definitely also dialects over there. The current colloquial standard is based on uh, what is spoken, like the most prestigious variant of uh, colloquial Czech would be uh, the central Bohemian variant of Czech, which is spoken in Prague and around Prague. And... Uh, uh, this is something that has uh, been penetrating media as well. So you can hear this version of colloquial Czech in media already in fairly standard mainstream media, not in like the official Czech TV, which would correspond to something like BBC. They are still very careful and cautious there, but in uh, privately owned media that are fra fairly mainstream, you can already hear a uh, colloquial Czech as well. And that would be the colloquial Czech that you hear here in Prague and around Prague. It would be very strange if you took like a general Moravian, if you wish, if there is such a thing, if you took a general Moravian and started speaking 
that in in media in state media then you then you definitely and instantly can hear that the person who is speaking is speaking a dialect so there is this uh, this difference in perception of the of the dialects where uh, the bohemian dialects are considered more uh, neutral uh, standard penetrating media the moravian dialects are still uh, looked upon as as real dialects uh, with unfortunately also with the sociolinguistic associations with it like people are less educated and uh, you know all these things which are of course not true but that's curious that you mentioned that Moravia has these one or two very recognizable dialects that are Moravian. Moravia geographically is further south and it's further east. That runs up to the border with Slovakia. Can I presume, therefore, that Moravian Czech is closer to Slovak? Is that fair to say? That is definitely fair to say, yeah. There is a big divide between Moravian dialects and Slovak, uh, but it is definitely true that Moravian East, East Moravian dialects, especially are uh, much closer to Slovak than, uh, for example, the Bohemian dialects. Mm -hmm. Understood. And this is something that we've touched upon previously on this podcast, the consequences of borders. Borders have an effect because they shape people's lives. Perhaps prior to the establishment of these states and these kind of... It's a very modern concept to have these hard and fast borders where you belong here and you don't belong there. And perhaps prior to this modern state, uh, it would have been a bit more fluid, but you know, the borders do shape the mm -hmm. language mm -hmm. uh, today. And especially now that the um, that is now a separate country has separated mm -hmm. from Slovakia. Um, I mean, I'm just curious, though, would you think, therefore, that since the separation of Slovakia from the Czechs, do you think that knowledge of Slovak is actually getting worse from generation to generation? Would you say that, for example, your parents would understand Slovak much better than you and you would understand it much better than your children? Is that mm -hmm. fair to say? That is fair to say, even though I uh, was born in the 80s, at the beginning of the 80s, and uh, Czechoslovakia split in 93. So I was 11 years old. I had enough input of Slovak to understand it to, I would say, more than 95%. I do think that my parents know a little Slovak a little better, uh, especially the passive Slovak, so especially some words that are different in Slovak than, than in Czech. And I do think that my kids understand it worse than I do because the kids might not have a problem only with words that are different, and that is definitely something that uh, that is difficult in its own right. But uh, they also might have a problem with the phonological part. So there are some very systematic differences in, in the phonology um, that distinguish the two languages. And if you learn them, if you get used to them, then you can understand Slovak very easily. Mm. This is something that my kids haven't been exposed to very much. So uh, this is something that is difficult for them and that they have to, I mean, they would have to learn in order to understand Slovak better. But if, for example, you know, when they're a little bit older, if they were to spend a week in Bratislava or in Slovakia, it would be a kind of case of adjusting their ears, squinting your ears, I like to say, and you start to see the systematic connections. Well, let's explore them. What are the differences between Czech and Slovak or Czech and other languages? What are the very salient, very Czech features of the language? So uh, in terms of the uh, sound system of the language, Czech has gone the furthest of all the Slavic languages in losing the distinction between non-palatalized and palatalized versions of consonants. So, for example, if you look at Russian, Russian still has a palatalized version of the sound P. 
which is something that Czech doesn't even hear. Uh, we don't have a distinction between what you could call hard p and, and soft p or something like that, or palatal p. So Czech lost this distinction quite a bit, to, to, to a great extent. It kept it in some interesting corners of the sound system. One such interesting corner is the sound uh, for r, which is actually mostly uh, pronounced just with a tap, so it's r. So it's at the beginning of my la of my name, of my first name. It's Radek, usually just done with a single tap, not with Radek. If you do that, it sounds foreign. It sounds like probably a Spanish person is trying to uh, pronounce your name. And what used to be uh, a palatal version of R, so you could call a soft R, became in modern Czech a distinct, completely distinct sound, which is uh, which sounds as R. Okay, so we have now the distinction between R and R. Uh, so we have the word rat, which means glad, and you have a word rat, which means order. And these two are distinct, so it's a phonological distinction. So this is uh, something that we have in Czech, and this is something that uh, the Slovaks don't have. So they don't have uh, R, they would still have uh, just R. But this is unique. I believe that this sound is perhaps globally unique. This R sound is a much celebrated feature of Czech. It's a much feared feature of Czech as well among learners. Um, but I, I do believe at least that it is globally almost unique, if mm. not unique. Every now and then I see the claim come up that it's unique and this is immediately followed by a counterclaim so I've lost track of whether this is true or not. Mm -hmm. I believe at least that Polish used to have it uh, but it's lost it. It's, mm -hmm. it's just become in Polish. Exactly. It makes sense. Polish and Czech have emerged from the same source mm -hmm. so the sounds developed in similar ways but Polish has gone a little bit further. Czech possibly alone among the world's languages today has mm -hmm. which is much feared among learners. <laughs> uh, I'm very pleased that I've managed to acquire it over the years as well. It, it does show a certain amount of uh, investment in the language and the country, I like to think as well. But there are some other features of Czech that I think are actually quite nice and quite helpful for learners. One thing is that Czech has a very rigid stress placement. It's always the first syllable. Yes. And that interests me because you might think, oh, that's a very rigid rule. How am I ever going to learn it? Well, to an English speaker, it is difficult. It does take time to get used to. But I will say one thing. It makes Czech words very clear, acoustically perceptible. So say, for example, you listen to French. I think we've all had this experience of French as non-native speakers. It just sounds like one long stream of sounds. It's difficult. I really struggle with spoken French. In Czech, when every word starts with the stressed syllable, you can tell when every word begins. That's very helpful as well. Yes. So I mention this because I think it's linguistically true and interesting, but mm -hmm. also because just to, just to, you know, tip the balance in terms of Czech's pretty terrible reputation as a language that people should try to learn. I'll just say that in Czech's favour. I feel that we're in a very good place now, vis-a-vis -vis the Czech language. We've discussed a little bit about its geography, a little bit about its dialects, where you can find speakers of this language. But I want to turn away now from talking about Czech in general to talking about one person who has a pretty, you know, pretty intimate relationship with this language, uh, which is, of course, yourself, Radek. Um, could you just tell us, what is your story with the Czech language? I think the first part of this story will be fairly obvious, but just talk us through it. How did you come to know Czech? And also, what is its relevance to your life today? Czech is my mother tongue, so I was... Um... I bathed in Czech since my since my childhood. It is the language that I know best still. 
even though I lived 13 years abroad, I lived in the Netherlands and uh, in Germany, where I spoke most of the time other languages than Czech, and I did feel some some traces of language attrition going on in, in myself. But still, Czech is still the language that I that I that I know the most. I guess maybe that I love the most as well, even though being a linguist and you know it probably yourself, it is difficult to love a single language if you're a linguist because you uh, acquire a love for for all the languages that you study. So I always liked language in general. Language for me, also from elementary school and secondary school, was mostly Czech and of course then foreign languages as well. But I was one of the weirdos that did like actually Czech uh, lessons uh, at school, not for the reason of uh, reading interesting books, but for doing language analysis, uh, morphological and syntactic. And I did like it back then, and I still like it. This is also actually what I ended up doing. I had a very vague idea of li- what linguistics is when I was in, in my secondary school. I had a sense that I would like to study it. I actually was applying for general linguistics which I didn't get into as a, for a master's studies back in the day. What I did start studying was the Czech language and English language, or Czech philology and English philology in Olomouc. And uh, this is how I started doing linguistics. Already at the uh, admission exams in Olomouc, uh, the teachers there would ask me, what I wanted to do, why I wanted to come and study language. And I was probably one of the few people who would say, actually, I find the language itself interesting, not so much the literature. And I was worried that that would be the wrong answer, but it ended up being the right one because they took me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I, uh, so I, I concentrated on, uh, on language uh, mostly. Uh, I had to sit through the literature classes. I did acquire some taste for literature. So I had, a, I had the opportunity to read a lot of interesting books, both in uh, Czech and in English. But uh, language really was what I loved most, and uh, I uh, really enjoyed syntax. And uh, this is what brought me to uh, do some research on syntax during my master's studies. Uh, I uh, did some research on relative clauses, and that then in turn brought me to uh, the Netherlands, to Groningen, where I had the opportunity to study under the supervision of Mark de Vries, who was one of the, and still is, one of the major leading experts on the syntax of relative clauses, which is what I what I wanted to uh, study and uh, what I wanted to write my dissertation on. Uh, my initial plan was actually to write about Czech mostly because I the way I approached uh, linguistics back then was to to quite some extent uh, via my own intuition about how Czech works. So the classical, if you wish, the classical armchair method. I uh, gradually um, started uh, looking into other languages as well, finding out that there is some fun and actually quite some fun in looking at the comparative perspective, comparing Czech to other languages. I ended up having in my dissertation a sample of about 20 languages, I think. So uh, it was also to some extent typological work. I gradually um, started being interested more and more in semantics as well. So now I'm something between a syntactician and semanticist. 
I also, especially when I was uh, doing my postdoc at Potsdam University together with Gisbert Fanzelow and others um, like Marta Wierzba, who was a student back then, I started studying uh, or I started using more rigorous methods of approaching language. We started doing experiments on syntax and semantics. And this is uh, what I keep doing now as well. Here in Prague, where I work now, where I've worked for the past four years, in the, in the Institute of Czech Language and Theory of Communication, uh, many of my colleagues are not that much interested in uh, the formal uh, and structural aspects of uh, Czech or of other languages. They're interested in psycholinguistics, for example, or in uh, sociolinguistic aspects of, uh, of Czech. And uh, by sharing, at least to some extent, uh, the methodological basics, the methodological aspects of, of the work, we can communicate much better. So I find um, nice collaborations here uh, with uh, people working in language acquisition, for example. Uh, so recently we were looking at uh, how Czech children acquire WH words. WH words are words that are used in interrogative sentences, in questions, to ask a question like which, where, who, what. The interesting thing about that is that uh, these words can be used not just for the interrogative purpose, not just for questions, but also for expressing other constructions like uh, relative clauses and then different types of relative clauses, so-called headed relative clauses, which have a nominal head, like the man who I met. Also free relative clauses. An example would be, I like what you said. And uh, correlative clauses, uh, or so-called unconditionals, wherever you go, I will go with you, for example. So all these constructions are constructions where you use WH words. And uh, what we looked at uh, in this research was how Czech children acquire this different, this multifunctionality of the WH words. Where do they start? Where do they start learning these WH words? And where do they end? And why in this order, for example? Bringing the conversation now back to Czech, what is one thing that you really love about the Czech language? I know this is difficult for a native speaker. It is just, it's just what you do. It's the language that you know best as well. But you have said already that you are a little bit of an armchair linguist. Armchair linguist is a, I'm not sure whether to say if it's a pejorative term or not, but essentially it's a linguist who works with their own language and does a lot of introspection, right? And you have done this with Czech. So, Amidst that introspection, is there one thing that you recognized with this language that you think, oh, this is, this is neat, this is pretty cool? One particular feature of Czech that I thought would be uh, interesting to mention is uh, that Czech is one of the very few languages, at least as far as I know, and Slovak does have it as well, but uh, then Czech and Slovak, as we already mentioned in the beginning, are very close to each other anyways. But Czech has this very interesting use of the infinitive form. The infinitive form would be, in English, something that you would get under verbs like want, for example. I want to go home. So the to go is the infinitival form. This is also something that we have in Czech. It will not be expressed by a particle or whatever that piece of word is, this to, uh, but um, it would be expressed uh, by a, a suffix, by a grammatical suffix on the verb. 
And uh, the infinitive has many different uses in the Czech language. And one particular use is, I think, or at least as far as I know so far, unique among the languages, probably definitely among the European languages. So if you say in English something like, Mary needs to praise somebody, right? That it means, then it means that uh, Mary is in need of something. And what is what she is in need of something is that she would be the one praising somebody. In Czech, what you can say, or you can say that in English too, Mary needs to praise. It sounds a little bit awkward, I guess, but it would still mean the same, that Mary would be the one who is active in the praising. And there is no other way. Now, if you translate this sentence into Czech, which would sound Marie potřebuje pochválit. Marie, the Mary, potřebuje, needs, pochválit, praise, in the infinitive form. So, literally translated, Mary needs to praise. This sentence is ambiguous. It can either mean the thing that it means in English, Mary needs to praise, but it can also mean that Mary needs to be praised, okay? So Mary, the subject of the sentence, not only can it be the the agent, the active person in praising, but it can also be the person who is being praised in this case. In other words, so for maybe for people who are a little bit uh, well-versed or a little knowledgeable in uh, linguistics, this is what you would get with passives, so Mary is praised, or is being praised, in order to form a passive, you usually need a certain piece of morphology and syntax. So this is what you do in, in English. If you say Mary is praised, then you use the passive form of the verb, praised, and usually you also use uh, an auxiliary like is, is praised. Now, in this particular case in Czech that I that I just discussed, you can see that there is no particular piece of morphology that would tell you that the infinitival form of praise, pochvalit, is actually passive. So it can be interpreted both as passive and as active. And this is, as far as I know, a unique property of Czech and probably Slovak, it's interesting that even other languages, other Slavic languages, don't have this feature. So they only can interpret the infinitives in these contexts as active, just as in English, for example. So I thought this would be an interesting, uh, interesting thing to mention, because it is something that you don't get to learn in uh, Czech classes. And you can be a little confused when you hear a sentence like Honza chce pomoct. Honza wants to help. And it means Honza wants to be helped. So Honza needs help, in other words. Is this ambiguity, I mean, is it a problem, do you think? The fact that you can't tell in these cases, the fact that you can't tell, are they the one praising or the one being praised, the one helping or the one being helped? Is it actually confusing or is it beneficial, actually? Could it somehow be useful to you as a speaker of Czech? I'm not sure if it can be useful as, as a case of ambiguity, it is always can be always a source of misunderstanding. Of course, you will find uh, it in particular contexts where it's where you can fill in by 
some uh, other types of information, other types of information than syntax and morphology, you can fill in this information that disambiguates the final uh, or the resulting sentence, and it's clear whether it's meant in the passive or in the active sense. Mm. But it can be an interesting source uh, of, of jokes as well. So the other day, my son came up to me and, and said, which literally translated means, do you want to say a joke? Mm. It's a strange thing to ask in English, but it's a very natural thing to ask in Czech because it can be interpreted as, do you want to be told a joke? Right. Right. It can be interpreted as, as a passive. Now I say, yeah, sure. And my son says, so please do. Amazing. <laughs> so, uh, of course, the sentence in and of itself is ambiguous. Do you want to tell a joke in Czech can mean, do you want to say a joke? Do you want to tell a joke? Or it can mean, do you want to be told a joke? And of course, the most probable reading of the sentence is, do you want to be told a joke? I, I want to tell you a joke. But yes. So that's the joke in uh, itself, in a way, because then if you say, so go ahead, tell me a joke. Uh, you suddenly make use of this other latent uh, interpretation that is present in the sentence. Like the true son of a linguist. He's providing examples of this construction for you and this ambiguity. Fantastic. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, does it have a name, this construction or this phenomenon? There doesn't happen to be much literature on this. It's a relatively marginal phenomenon in terms of uh, how much it has been studied. Also because infinitive has been studied a lot in Czech and there are other other more prominent uh, uses of the infinitive. So in this case, me and uh, a colleague of mine who works in the Netherlands, Jakub Dotlachil, back in the day we wrote a paper about this particular construction and we called it the retroactive infinitive. So this is the term that some people have used for this, which in fact was first used for the so-called tough constructions, like John is easy to please, by Otto Jespersen. So, for the third and final question, as is always the case, I'd like to ask, is there one thing that you would like to leave the audience with at the end of this episode? Is there one feature of Czech that you think, this is important, this is noteworthy, this is something that people just may not appreciate about this language here in the heart of Europe? So, I think this is um, maybe yet another interesting thing about Czech that we haven't mentioned yet, definitely, is uh, that Czech has had a long history with German. I already mentioned that the Czech region, Czechia, used to be part of Austria for a couple of hundred years. This has left a strong impact on Czech. And actually also uh, there is a strong impact of Czech on German, in, especially in the Austrian region, so it goes both ways. And there are some really interesting things that uh, Czech people, when they start learning German, or when they get maybe a little more proficient in German, they start to realize that there are these very interesting commonalities between Czech and German that come as a surprise in a way. Uh, one such area that I find fascinating, and I know that, that other Czech people who learn German or speak German find, find really interesting is that Czech is, uh, just like German, is a language that has a lot of verbs with prefixes. And the fascinating thing is that there are some verbs that uh, where the combination of the prefix and the verb 
puts together a new meaning that is not transparent, that you can't just derive from the meanings of the prefix and the verb, but where the meanings of the exact same prefix plus verb is the same in Czech and in German. One such example would be um, the uh, verb for to imagine. If you want to imagine something, then how you would do it in German is that you say vorstellen. So vorstellen would be literally translated into English as for stand, where stand is in the dynamic meaning, so put something somewhere, stand something somewhere. The way you do it in Czech is just exactly the same. You say predstavit. Pred is the prefix, means for, before, in front, and stavit means to stand, to put something somewhere. Essentially, Czech and German build on the same metaphor in order to create this meaning of imagining something in the sense of putting something in front of you or yourself in order to imagine it. Now, it's quite plausible that this uh, verb, predstavit, is a kalk from German. That means it is uh, very probably just translated piece by piece from German. Uh, another such interesting example would be, there are a lot of them with uh, the prefix pret uh, for, another such uh, such one would be uh, prednest or prednaschet, which would be in German vortragen, vortragen, which means to present or give a lecture. But literally, if you look at it, then you see that it's for and then carry. Now, these two, you would probably never guess that this, uh, putting these two uh, words together, the prefix and the verb, would give you the meaning of give a lecture, but that happens to be exactly the same thing that you do in Czech, for carry. So this connection between Czech and German, I really find fascinating. It's interesting to see that not all the cases of these combinations of prefixes and, and verb stems that are the same in German and in Czech are actually translations from German to Czech, because some of them, at least, might actually be translations from Latin to both German and to Czech, right? So these would be uh, uh, cases um, that use the prefix under, something like unterschreiben, literally under write. In Czech would be podepsat, again, literally under right? And that means to sign. And that comes from the Latin, and you can do it probably better than I can. Subscribere. Yeah. As in subscription in English. Exactly. Subscription. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a, there's a third influence Precisely. in the story of this language Precisely. as well. Yeah. And very probably this is an aerial effect. All these languages that were in a very rich contact with each other, Czech and German, but then both Czech and German with Latin, they have influenced each other, or I mean, Latin has influenced German and Czech, and Ger German has influenced Czech, and Czech has influenced uh, German. So this whole connection makes it actually pretty hard to find out where the source is sometimes, and uh, where the point of, of the borrowing is, or where the translation is. That's fair. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think that's very sensible to say we can't know for certain where these constructions are first coming from. I will only say, though, that they are enormously useful. In my experience as a learner of this language, German has been the number one language that I have relied on. I don't say that publicly because I have to explain myself. I don't mean to say that somehow Czech is German. I don't mean that at all. But the connections are there. They're invisible. Mm -hmm. We're getting down to a kind of 
structural level, if you were just to take these two words, something like Vorstellen and Predstavit, you would see no connection, but you need to look at the structure. And then all of a sudden, the links appear and they are, they're all out there to be used. So yeah, great point to end on as well. And I think there's a real practical benefit then to this idea of these connections, whatever their origin, spreading across Central European languages. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's leave it there. I think we must. Um, last thing I really have to say is just thank you so much, Radek. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me here in Charles. It's been a pleasure to visit the university and spend time here. Um, so yeah, just thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure for me. For a final fun fact from me, let's talk about nasal vowels. Czech once had two nasal vowels, e and o. They were lost from the language at an early point in time, before our oldest sources for the language, but we can tell that they were there by comparing cognate words in related languages. Over the border, in Polish, for instance, we still find nasal vowels and nasal sounds in places where Czech has lost them. While the Polish for a row or an order of things is rząd, with a nasal sound, Czech simply has rad. Yet these two nasal sounds must have still been present in Czech in at least the 10th century, since this is how the name of a famous saintly duke, known to Czechs now as Václav, got borrowed into Latin, and later English, as Wenceslas. So, that's all for this episode of A Language I Love Is. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do give the show a rating and recommend it widely to help share the linguistic love. Every bit of support helps. Thanks must go to my guest today, Radek, and to you, dear listener, for listening. Till the next time then, bye-bye.